Are you ready? Seriously, we wanted to start with that because baptism is coming up in about a month, uh, Sunday, September 24th. The truth is, if you've never experienced a baptism service, an opportunity to see people publicly declare, that's what baptism is, a public declaration that you are all in with Jesus, that you and Jesus are one, that He has made you new. It's something that has already happened. Baptism doesn't make you new. Jesus makes you new. And when you jump into that mode where you get baptized, this is you publicly declaring that God that Jesus has made you new. And so the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Now, some of you, you're already ready. We already know this because you're like, I'm, we're get, I'm ready to get baptized. There's a whole bunch of you that are getting baptized. We already know that. So this is not like we need more people to get baptized because we don't have any. We have a lot of people that are going to get baptized. We already know that. But maybe you haven't been baptized. Maybe you haven't gone public in your faith. And that's all it is. It's kind of like a wedding. I, I, I say this about weddings and baptism. It's the same thing. A wedding doesn't force people to, be, you know, to love each other. You have the wedding. Why? The wedding happens because of something that has already happened. You've already, you already love each other. You've already committed to each other. That's what a wedding is. That's exactly what baptism is. Baptism is a public expression of what God has already done in you. It is beautiful, it is powerful, it is life-transforming. And so are you ready? Now, some of you, you're ready. Some of you, in fact, you weren't ready until this moment, and you're like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. Now, you're scared of it, but you're ready, okay? Some of you in here, maybe you think you might need to be ready, or maybe God's telling you you're ready, and you're like, but I'm scared, right? Anybody scared to get dunked underwater in front of everybody else and have us hoot and holler and cheer for you because that's what we do? If you're scared, here's what I want you to do. Fill out the Connect card and say, I want to think about getting baptized. You can check that little box on the Connect card. It's on there. That's, it's always on there, by the way, not just when we're leading up to baptism. If you feel God wants you to get baptized, you can check that card, send it in, and we will follow up with you. That's it. Now, let me just say this. If you're scared of baptism, there's a lot of you in the room. You know how I know that? Because I think a lot, I'll just say, the vast majority of people that get baptized, they're scared to do it. It's, a, it's, it's an intense thing. The vast majority. So I know most of us in here are probably scared to do this. So if you're scared or if you have questions, you're like, well, how do you do it? Are you going to hold me under for, you know, longer than 10 seconds? The answer is, of course, because we want God's, you know, I'm just kidding. We don't do that. Some of you are like, What? I was totally thought you were kidding, and then I wasn't, and then maybe you are kidding. Okay, all right? If you want to get baptized, if you're curious, if you have questions, here's what I would suggest. Reach out. Talk to us. We're not going to force you to get baptized. Like, well, you called us. We're putting you in. It's not going to happen. This is between you and God. Not between you and Pastor Brent, not between you and your church. This is between you and God. We just happen to present the opportunity. That's it. If you are ready, or if you have questions, fill out the connect card, send us an email, send us a text. But I'll just say this, if you don't do it today and you know you're ready, you're not going to do it because you're going to chicken out later. Because Monday is for cowards. That's the first time I've ever said that. But man, that needs to be a t-shirt. Okay, I've already got some ideas. Let's go. We are ready, right? Ready to go. Okay. Uh, so I love creative signs. 
I love creative signs. For example, let me, let's go to this first one. I have this first creative sign from Johnson's Gym. Excuses don't burn calories. Oh man, so true. Now, here's the truth. There's about half of us in the room that were like, oh man, preach it. And that's because you work out all the time. And you're like, yeah, preach it, brother. Excuses don't burn calories. And then the other half of us in here were like, whatever. You know why? Because we don't like to work out. We're like, I, I hate that sign, right? Johnson's Gym, what is that? That's made up, right? So you don't like it. So maybe those of you that don't like this sign, you're going to like this next sign. Check this out. That's one of those that takes a second, doesn't it? You're like, I'm burning, oh, I'm burning calories. Yes. Now, here's the truth. Both of those signs are true, aren't they? Both of those signs are true. Excuses don't burn calories. They never will. Also, when you're roasting marshmallows, literally, you're burning calories. So they're both true. But the difference in the room in how you feel about those two signs, the difference comes from how all of you are viewing those signs, how you're looking at them, right? How you view calories. Maybe you're here and you view calories as an enemy to fight against. That's why you work out so hard. Or maybe you're here and you think of calories as something to enjoy, and so you like burning them over a fire and then putting them on chocolate and graham crackers. We call them s'mores, one of the best inventions in the world, okay? But the difference is not the truth. The truth remains the truth. The difference is how you are framing how you see it, the lens through which you're looking at it. And let's be honest, we all know what calories are anyway. If we're going to tell the truth, this is what calories are. Calories are tiny creatures that live in your closet and sew your clothes a little bit tighter every night. That's what calories actually are. Anybody ever seen that sign? If you haven't, you're welcome. Okay? So good. The truth is that we're going to get into it today, and we're going to continue the series that we've been in called Winning the War in Your Mind. And this whole series, just so that we know, comes from this book by Craig Rochelle, and I'll just say this because I've been harping on it every single week of this series. You won't like this book, but you need to read this book. I'm going to leave it at that. Get it. Read it. You're not going to like it, but you need to read it. Because what he's going to do is he's going to dig in. He's going to tell you this is what's wrong with our brain. This is what's wrong with our thought life. This is what we need to do. This is how we need to dig in. And so today we've been talking about principles all throughout this series. We talked about the first principle, then the second principle. Today we have a new principle. Here's the principle. Reframe principle is what it's called, straight from the book. And it's called Reframe Your Mind, Restore Your Perspective. So we've talked about your brain, your mind, your thought life has lies in it. Lies that you believe are true, but they're not. We need to get rid of them. We talked about that two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about your brain, your mind has ruts in it. It's what God created in us so that we can learn, but when we learn the wrong way, when we learn the wrong things, it creates a rut and presents us with habits that we should not have in our life. We talked about ruts. We, don't need, we can't get rid of them, but we can replace them with truth trenches. We talked about that. Today, we're going to talk about how you view yourself, how you view you, how you view God, how you view other people, how you view life. 
Now the truth is that we all look through life through a frame, through a lens, don't we? We'd like to admit that we don't, but we do. We all, we, we'd like to admit that, we'd like to say we don't have a frame. In fact, let me just, let me just say this. If you're looking around and everybody else is looking at life through a lens, through a frame, but you're not, you're the only one who's not looking through a bias, through a frame, but everyone else is, what does that tell you about you? If you see everybody else has a frame, everybody else has a bias, but you're the only one that doesn't, could it be possible that you don't realize that you're seeing life through a bias, through a frame? Aren't you getting excited about reading this book? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because the truth is we all look through life through frames. And we see truth, there's facts, but we see them twisted because of our frame. Pastor Craig Gauchel says this in his book. He says it this way. He says, it's not the facts that differ, but the filter. It's not the facts that differ, it's the filter. It's how we see it. So we have a key verse in our series that we've been using. It's a powerful verse. It's a really important verse. It's one of those foundational ones. Good one to memorize, actually. If I were to pick one to memorize, this is one of them that I would suggest. Romans 12.2 simply says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you, what does it say? The way you what? The way you think. The way you frame things, the way you view things, the way that you think about things, we're going to change that. God wants to change that, changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So you guys see this container that I have in front of me. And I put, I put, I made it green because so that you can see it a little bit easier, right? If it's clear, you'd just be seen through it. But you've got, you guys have heard the statement or the question If you look at this, do you see that this glass is half full or half empty? Which one would you say? Some of you in here, you know, you're like, it's half full. Okay, Optimus, the world is wonderful, right? And some of you are like, no, it's not. That's half empty. Okay, you pessimist. Wah, wah. Right? We all view it differently, but here's the truth. I want to take this a little bit deeper today. The truth is, it's actually both half full and it's also half empty. So you're both right. What changes how you view it, though, is your frame. It's how you're looking at it. It's what you think about it. Some of you, you're stuck on the fact that you're like, why do you make it green? That's gross. Well, I wasn't going to use yellow for obvious reasons. Maybe it's Mountain Dew. (laughs) right? No, I, some of you are like, you're viewing this as a way, and this is how we do. We all see life through a frame. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about your frame. How are you viewing life? How are you viewing God? How are you looking at the world? Because how you look at the world, how you see God, how you see yourself matters into what you're going to do and how you're going to live your life. So what is that frame? And what I, honestly, we can go a hundred different ways, but here's what I want to do today. I want to keep it simple. As simple as I can possibly do, right? I tend to get complicated sometimes. I'm sorry about that. But I'm going to try to keep it simple, and I'm going to keep it simple by giving you two reasons why you need to engage your frame of reference in your life. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you two reasons why 
you have to understand, you have to believe that you see the world through a frame and that you need to engage that frame and you need to change that frame. Otherwise, that frame is going to mess you up. I'm going to give you two reasons why you have to change it, why you have to allow God to change it. All right? Reason number one, what you look for, you find. What you look for, you find. So what do we mean by that? Well, let me get into Scripture for a moment. There's this fairly well-known Scripture in Corinthians that we tend to quote a lot, and we probably wouldn't normally attach it to this particular topic. But I want to give it to you because it actually applies to this topic perfectly. It's 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and it says this. It says, we destroy arguments. We demolish arguments, and every pretension, pretension is a prideful statement, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then it gives you an action step. And we take captive, we capture every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is that verse talking about? That verse is very simply talking about this. It is saying that we see the world through a frame, through our own thought life, through what we think is right. And God, what God wants to do, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to change that frame. He wants to make that frame, the way that you look, the way that the lens that you see things, he wants to change that so that you see it through his eyes. How do we do that? We make this frame obedient to Christ. Now, how do we do that? Well, when you start looking for the right things. We need to stop looking for the wrong things. Start looking for the right ones, stop looking for the wrong ones. What do I mean by that? Well, let me illustrate this. Uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle has a great illustration in his book, and I want to use this. So think about a vulture. A vulture is a really big bird, right? It has this huge wingspan. It flies, soars high in the sky. If you go to uh, Gibraltar Rock, just 20 minutes north of here, if you haven't been there, by the way, if you're a hiking person, you need to go there. Okay, Gibraltar Rock, go there, hike it. Just be careful when you get to the edge, okay? Because it's like, it's a long ways down. Every time you go, every time I've been there, every single time, there's never been a time when I've been there and I haven't seen vultures circling, right? Kind of makes you a little unnerved, right? You're like, what are you doing? Well, what what are they doing? You know what they find? What vultures find every single day? They find dead, rotting carcass meat. Hmm that just make you want to go to breakfast as soon as you leave here? Rotting dead carcass meat. That's what, they, that's what they find all the time, right? Now, contrast that with a different kind of bird, a hummingbird. Flittering around. I don't, I've never tried to be a hummingbird before, but there you go. See how my mind works? I'm just like, be a hummingbird, okay, right? And they just, they're flying around. I mean, they're so fast. It's like, oh, there's a hummingbird. Now it's gone right? They're so quick. Now, what do hummingbirds find? Hummingbirds, if you watch them, they find sweet nectar in flowers and in plants, right? They're always like, and then they're like sucking the nectar out of this and sucking the nectar out of that. Now, here's my question to you. Could a vulture find sweet nectar? The answer to that is, yeah, of course they could. It's a bird. They fly everywhere. Of course they could find it. Could a hummingbird find dead, rotting carcass meat? Of course it could. It can fly. They're all over the place. It could easily find dead, rotting carcass meat. 
but you never see a hummingbird over the top of a carcass going, hmm. And you never see a hummingbird sticking his beak into a flower. You know why? Because that's not what they're looking for. You will never find a vulture sucking on nectar because it's not what it's looking for. You'll never see a hummingbird chewing on some rotting raccoon that got hit the night before. You know why? Because they're not looking for it. The same is true for you and I. And the question I have for you today is this. What are you looking for? No, seriously. What are you chasing? What are you going after? What are you consumed by? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do? What are you looking for? Because what we're looking for, you're going to find. You're going to find it. When your teenager comes to you, Okay? Now you know where I live. When your teenager comes walking up and, they, and, and he or she wants to ask you for something, are you looking for a fight or are you looking to connect? I'm just saying. What are you looking for? When you retire, or maybe, you, maybe you're already retired, maybe you're thinking about retirement, maybe you're planning for retirement, maybe you're a long ways from retirement, and you're thinking about retirement. When you retire, what are you looking for? Are you looking to do whatever you want? Are you looking to do what God wants with your time? What are you looking for? When you are at school, a lot of students in here today. This is awesome. And by the way, can I just say, you guys, kids, teenagers, this is awesome that you're here. I mean it. Like, you have to listen to me. That's a big deal. I'm sorry about that. Seriously. That's, that's good for you, okay? You have to go through some hard things in life, right? But you, got, you guys, when you go to school, I'm serious. Think about what are you looking for? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to be the most popular? Are you trying to be the most helpful the most adept at learning, at seeing how you can add value instead of take value. What are you looking for? What are you trying to do? When you are looking for all these things, when you're, oh, by the way, let me, oh, yeah, listen. When your spouse looks at you and you do something and, and he or she rolls their eyes at you, I'm just curious, anybody in the room, anybody have a spouse that rolls their eyes at them? Anybody willing to admit you're the spouse that rolls their eyes? I see some eye rolling already, like right now. Okay, some, okay we're getting honest. We're slowly getting honest. All right, you're, you're trying here. We're fighting the devil. Good job. Good job. Okay, uh, Laura and I, we eye roll at each other. We do it both ways. It's not one or the other. We eye roll each other. And now let me ask you this. When that happens, are you looking to get even or are you looking to be honest and vulnerable and, and try to dig in, what's the problem here? What are you looking for? Because what you're looking for, you will find every time. Are you looking for a fight? Is that what you're looking for? Trust me, I know a lot of people. I think that's all they're looking for. They're looking for a fight. If you're looking for a fight, you know what you'll find? You're going to find one. And you're going to get one. Are you looking for, well, are you looking for a reason to quit? Are you looking for a reason to, to just stop? Maybe stop at life. 
I talk to a lot of people that have gotten to the point where they're, they're ready to be done with life. Are you ready to quit on your family, quit on your marriage? I told you this is, this is not going to be a fun one. If you're looking for a way out, some, some of you, you're looking for a reason not to believe in God. If you're looking for a reason not to believe in God, trust me, you can Google it and you'll find plenty of reasons. So I've, I've read them. You can find them. There's thousands of reasons why not to believe in God. If that's what you're looking for, you'll find it. What are you looking for? What's the frame through which you are looking at your life and looking at God? Are you willing to take that frame and hand it over and surrender it to God? Are you willing? Are you willing to do that? So the first reason you need to attack that frame is because what you're going to look for, you're going to find. Good, bad, ugly, or otherwise, you're going to find it. But then there's the second reason. And this reason is, is really more important even than the first reason. It really is. I don't often say that. Sometimes they're kind of equal points. But this one actually is far more important. And it's not one that we're going to be excited to hear, but it is true. Uh, this one is simply, God knows more and better. Now, some of you that like to te teach English, you're like, this is driving you crazy because that was not a complete sentence. Right? D the truth is, as, as a former teacher, it's driving me a little bit nuts as well. I'm serious. I, I almost could not leave it in my manuscript that way. Like, it's there. It says exactly that. It's highlighted that way. I know that's how it's going to come on the screen. And I'm cringing as it does. Right? But here's why I left it that way. Because we as human beings, we as people, we need to face the reality that God knows more than you do and He knows better than you do, period. done. Not most of the time, not sometimes, not well, but with this area of our life, like my checkbook is, is, you know, I know what I'm doing with math. God doesn't know how to do math. Really? Right? Or whatever it is, then we think that we sometimes, we would never say this, God, seriously, I know better. We don't do that, but we act like it in how we treat him. Oh, no, God, I've got this one. The, thanks for the other stuff, like all these other things and these other times in your life when, when you've showed up and you've helped me out. Cool, but this seems to be kind of a big one, and so I've got this. But the truth is, God says, no, you don't. My ways, my thoughts, they're higher than yours. In fact, we know that God is quoted as this in Isaiah 55. Listen to what God himself says. Verses 8 and 9. He says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God knows better than you do. God knows more than you do. Now, I would love to just leave it as that statement because probably a lot of us have heard that statement, but let's actually dig into that. What does that mean? Here's what that means. Think about this, okay? Let's rationally progress through this understanding. If God knows more than you do, if God is 
has, has higher ways than you, if He knows better than you do, if that's true, then wouldn't it also be true that at times you and I are going to pray and ask for things from God that are not good for us? This is uncomfortable moment time. Let me say it again. If God knows better and knows more than you do, is it true that sometimes we're going to pray and we're going to ask God for things that are not actually good for us? Now, I can see by the faces in the room that I have hit on a lie that we believe. Here's the lie. I know I'm going back three weeks ago, right? You're like, we already talked about lies. The lies lead to the wrong frame. The lie is that we don't believe that we as human beings would ever or could ever ask God for anything that would be less than good. Oh, I would never ask for anything that's not good. Really? And the truth is sometimes we might be asking for what we think is good. And God realizes and knows that it's not good, so therefore he's going to say no. Now, let me just ask you this. Seriously, just be honest. How many of you love hearing no? If, if you ask, like, you get a burger, right, and you ask for ketchup and mustard only, but it is layered with lettuce and tomato and onion and some kind of gross sauce that that restaurant puts on it, and you, go, you ask for ketchup and mustard only, right? And you get the burger, it's just, you know, piled on it. And you're like, uh, I asked for ketchup and mustard only. Uh, thank you for letting us know. No. How many of you are going to be like, ooh, I love that restaurant? No, you're not. How many of you love it when your kids say no? Mmm, that's fun. How many of you love when God says no? I don't either. We don't like it. But the truth is, is it possible that our frame is maybe a little bit twisted, a little bit off, and God's is perfect, and so therefore we might be asking, it might even be something that's not bad. It might be something that's good, but God knows it's not the best, and so I have to say no. Think about it. Is it possible? So let me give you a couple of examples of this. The backpacks. You guys watched the Love Week video, right? Did you hear what happened? This is really cool. So uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background story to this. So as a church, we committed to bring 150 backpacks, right? You guys know that. We committed to Wanakee Neighborhood Connection that we're going to bring 150 different backpacks, different backpacks for the kids that needed the backpacks this year. Okay? And so we committed this 150 backpacks. Well, here's the deal. A week before we had to turn those in, you guys know, because I'm the one that stood right here and I said, hey guys, we have 72 backpacks. A week before. And so I'm just going to be honest, as a staff, we were not scared, we were not you know, frustrated, but we were a little disappointed. We had committed to 150 backpacks and we're like, you know what the main problem was? We have a few procrastinators in here. And, if, and can I just be really honest? I was one of them. Literally, our family had not brought our backpacks in. We, we hadn't. At the, when I stood here and said we only have 72, we had not brought ours in yet. So I get it, okay? I'm with you on this. 
Okay? But we only had 72. And so our staff, we were praying and we're like, God, we really need, that. we're not going to show up with less than 150 backpacks. If we have to go buy a bunch of backpacks, we'll do it. But, but we're not going to show up with 100. We promised 150 backpacks. We're going to bring 150 backpacks. And so we told you guys, we need to, you know, we kind of need to bring your backpacks. If you're going to do it, bring your backpacks. You know what we did? We blew 150 out of the water. But that's not the coolest part. And I don't know if you caught the director of WNC and what she said. They didn't know. They thought it was going to be 150. That's what they thought they needed. That's what we thought they needed because that's what they told us. So Nick, Pastor Nick, shows up on that. You see all that rain happening that morning? Oh, man, it was dumping like crazy that morning. So he had to deliver all those backpacks that morning. And so they delivered those backpacks. And, and she said, hey, how'd you guys do? And he said, you wouldn't believe it. We blew 150 away. We brought you 225 backpacks. And she was like, you don't, you don't understand. We discovered before you ever knew that the amount of backpacks that we were going to need was 225. Not only did we blow the number away, nobody knew that that number was needed. You know the only one who knew, the only one who had the right frame in this story was God. He's like, oh, you have no clue. 72, 150, nope, it's totally different math than that. There's 225 kids that need a backpack. And yeah, I'm going to bring it. Just watch what I do. Look through the right frame. So I want to tell one more story and then land the plane. So I'm going to invite my son Jackson to come up here real quick. So Jackson, why don't you come up here? He knows. I asked him if I could do this. I'm going to get a few more people up here too. So I want to help you understand the progression of why it's so important that we look through our life and we see God and we see other people through the correct frame. And I want you to see how excited a 16-year-old boy is to stand next to his dad on stage and in public. <laughs> Can you tell? He's more than excited. I asked him for permission to do this. So this is my oldest son, Jackson. He's 16, okay? And I, let me just say this. I, any, any opportunity I get, I just want to say uh, Jackson and my daughter Hannah and Tanner, Tanner they are amazing. Um, I, I've mentioned this before, but they serve at Northridge as volunteers almost every single Sunday. Jackson runs sound like he is today. He's literally, he had to have somebody fill in for him because I was going to pull him up here. Uh, Hannah's almost always in the kids' class. That's why you only see her during one service in here. She has to be in here one service, but she serves the other service in kids' class every, just about every Sunday. And then Tanner, you see these stairs on the back of the stage? Tanner is the one that sometimes rolls these stairs in and helps hook them in, and sometimes he lays the connect cards. He didn't do it this morning, but a lot of times he's the one that does that. You never see him doing those things. I'm so proud of them because they're serving Christ. Yeah. It's good. So I bring him up here to say this. There's a story that connects to him. And ladies, uh, go ahead and make your way up, up here. We're going we're gonna to move over this way, Jackson. We're going to move over here because we're going to get a few people over here. Okay, so there's a really cool story that kind of works together with this. Okay, and I want to I help us understand that the frame that we look through matters because we think we know better and God knows way better and way more than we do. And look at this. 
Can't you tell I'm embarrassing everybody this morning? Welcome to your life. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> this is awesome. So, not to embarrass everybody, but I'm going to embarrass them. But they, they, again, I ask permission from all everybody up here. Okay? So here's what's really cool. Okay? This is my son, Jackson. He is dating a really cool young gal named Lily. That's Lily. Hi. Say hi, Lily. <laughs> Boyfriend, girlfriend. Isn't that cool? And they get to do this in front of everybody. Yay! This is like 10,000 times worse than social media. Okay. All right? But what's cool is Jackson and Lily, they're connected, and Lily is connected to this whole story through her grandmother, Brenda. Say hi, Brenda. <laughs> Brenda is connected to this whole story through Rachel. Rachel is connected to this story through her husband, Joel, who couldn't be here today, but we have a great picture of him. Take a look at this. This will, this will tell you all about his personality. Okay, if you read his shirt, that... That says everything you need to know about Joel, does it not, right? How he acts, how he frames his life, okay? I smoke meat and I know stuff. I love that, okay? But here's what's really cool, okay? When Laura and I moved here, Jackson was three years old. Hannah was not even a year old when we moved here to Dane County, okay? Three and not even a year old. When we moved here, there was no church, and so I had to get a full-time job. The place that I got a full-time job was at this company called ReproQuest. Guess who worked there? Joel, the guy who smokes meat and no things. Well, Joel would come into the shop when I was working there, and we would talk about life and God and faith, and he'd play country music. I still love him anyway. But he would, he would, as soon as he walked in, that's what he'd, he'd crank on country music in the shop. I'm like, Joel's here, you know. But Joel and I hit it off. We became friends. And then we started talking. And a few months at, into this relationship, when we, he and I would work together in the shop, then we would start talking. And all of a sudden, he started telling me about this gal named Rachel. And let me tell you, Rachel, let me tell you. I've already told you. So you know this. But he would light up. He'd be like, oh, Brent, oh, I, went, I went out with this girl named Rachel. And then he just started talking. He'd talk faster. And if you know Joel, if Joel talks fast, you're like, what is wrong with him? I talk fast. Joel does not. He's like, uh, we're good. <laughs> he's good. I mean, he's great. I love it. And it's like, he'd talk about Rachel, man. Oh. Well, Joel and Rachel got married. I got to do their wedding. They started coming to Northridge. Joel and Rachel, they have three kids Two boys and, and a girl. They're hanging out right back there if you wanted to see them. Hi, guys. <laughs> they have a little bit of energy. Just a little bit, right, Rachel? Just a little bit. And so because of their kids and because of the energy, they needed somebody to kind of help them out and, and watch the kids at times and all kind of stuff. Guess who they called? Brenda. They're like, hey, Brenda, would you be willing to watch and kind of take care of our kids? And Brenda does an awesome job. And she's, she takes care of these guys. And so, you know what? They start talking, and then they invite her to Northridge. Brenda's like, yeah. And she's, she's been coming to Northridge for quite a while now. I don't even know how long. Four years. Four years. Brenda's been coming to Northridge. Okay? Then, just this last December, we had Jingle Jam, our, our Christmas community service, and big party, right, that we have here in the Village Center. And, and Brenda invites, guess who she invites to come with her? Her granddaughter, Lily. Yay! Say hi again, Lily. <laughs> We're just having fun here today, right? This is great. And Lily 
Brenda and Lily are walking through Jingle Jam, and guess who's there handling one of the characters but Jackson? And they notice each other. It's like, uh. <laughs> and Pastor Nick, of course, Pastor Nick introduces them, and they get in each other's number, and then they start talking, and then we start hearing about this Lily person, right? And all of a sudden, they're dating. Now they're boyfriend and girlfriend. All that. This is awesome. Like, I, this is amazing. But catch this. Now, I want you to catch this because this is the important piece. When we first moved here, I couldn't get a job for six months. It took me six months to get a job. I put resumes, I did applications, I don't know how many. It was a lot. And I could not get a job. And you know what I was praying during that time? I was praying, God, I came to Dane County to plant a church. Like, this is supposed to work out. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing these things for you. Why aren't you giving me a job? Like, it's been two months, it's three months, it's been four months, five months. Come on. And I'm praying to God. I'm saying, God, I need a job. I need a job. I need to support my family. This is getting scary. If God would have given me a job when I had asked for it, I wouldn't have gotten a job at Request, which means I wouldn't have gotten to know Joel. I wouldn't have not gotten to know Rachel or Brenda or Lily. And my son wouldn't get to date her. All right, you guys are good. Thank you. Here's the truth, though. Don't miss it. Sometimes what you want is not actually right or best. Because you have no idea what's going on in the background. God says, Brent, you, I can't give you this job. I can't give you a job right now because I have a job that's perfect for you. You're not even going to know how to do it. It's true. I, I kid you not. I walked in in the interview and I was like, so I looked at your website. I read everything I could. I'm still not quite sure what we do here. God, I'm serious. God works miracles. And I told him what I was here to do. I'm, I said, I'm here to plant a church. I will work my tail off for you. I will learn as fast as I can. I will be faithful. Uh, but I'm here to plant a church. And so this is just to get me through to that. And, and I'm sorry if, if that doesn't work for you. No problem. I'm fine to go. And they said, no, no, that's great. Really? And then I get to know Joel and Rachel and Brenda and Lily and by the way, I didn't even go this deep, but those, all those people that were up here, they connect to so many other people that are part of our church now. If I was in charge, I don't even know them. They're not even here today. I don't even get to embarrass you on stage. But I'm serious about this. What are you missing? What blessings, what peace, what joy are you missing from God because you're looking at life through your frame? Let's get rid of our frame and let's replace it with God's frame. How do we do that? Start looking for God. Start looking for Him because what you look for, you're going to find. 
and make sure that you understand that his ways are higher, better, and he just knows more than you do. Surrender to that and let God take it from there. I promise he's going to lead you to some amazing things. You might even get to come up here and be embarrassed on stage. Are you willing to surrender your frame to God's holy, perfect frame? I hope you will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, There may be a few people in here that realize, maybe for the first time this morning, that their frame, the way they've been viewing themselves, maybe they view themselves as worthless. Maybe they view the world as out to get them. Maybe it's a victim frame. Maybe it's a victim mentality. Maybe it's an addiction mentality. They, they think they'll never be free of the addiction that, they, that, they, that has so consumed them. God, I pray that you would reframe their brain, reframe their mind, reframe what they see and what they are looking at. Help them to see your perfect frame. Help them to see who you are. And if it's just because they're looking for the wrong things, if they're looking for all of these answers in the wrong ways, in the wrong places, I pray that you would reframe their mind. Give them joy. Give them freedom. There are people in their life who they don't know yet, but you want them to be involved in their life. There are things that you want to call them to do that it's going to be amazing. They're going to change the world. They're going to save somebody's life. They're going to, they're going to change the trajectory of somebody's life. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody in their family. But you have to say, help them see. They have to reframe who they are and how they're viewing things because they don't think they're worthy. They're not going to ever step out. They're not going to pray for that person. They're never going to mention you until you get them off their cowardice, off their twisted view, off their lie that they're worthless. God, I pray that you get that out of them, help them to listen to you. Your voice, your frame, your ways. Because your ways are higher, they're better, they're stronger than ours. Help us to listen to you. Help us to listen to who you are, who you say we are. Help us to follow you. We pray all of this and ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.